welcome to the LCRR podcast. Once again, Joey Zanaboni here from my parents' uh, office area, my mom's office in St. Louis, Missouri, and joined today on our LCRR podcast, episode three, season one, by the one and only Mike Rooney. Mike, how you doing today? Joey, uh, pleasure, man. I'm good. I'm good. Nice to uh, chat with you. Yeah, well, it's it's an absolute pleasure to uh, chat with you as well. Now, you are out in the fine state of uh, Arizona here? Arizona, Prescott, Arizona, spelled Prescott, pronounced Prescott, where else you get run out of here. So we're in northern Arizona, up in the mountains of Arizona. And everything's good with the COVID deal? Everything is going swimmingly here for you? Yeah, I mean, I would say as far as... Um, as far as, you know, obviously my brother lives in Hoboken, like that's a nightmare where those guys are. So, um, yeah, it, it hasn't been too terribly bad out here, quite honestly. Well, well, we got some uh, news baseball wise on the major league side today, uh, possibly getting restarted. Uh, now I know you're in the college side, but just got to hit this first is, uh, what, what do you think about this plan? The owners have approved it. It's going to the players union. Uh, any, any idea, maybe put a handicap on this for us. What, uh, what Ooh. do you think will happen? You know, I would say every time I get excited, I get, you know, dejected. I saw Sean Doolittle had a very, had like nine or 10 tweets today that were very safety oriented. And um, I don't know. Yeah, it's like there's so many layers to it. There's the finances and the safety and the, you know, like not just the players. I, I mean, right. you know, and it's hard to not have an emotional reaction like I am, like everybody, right? Like I'm my day job. I'm in my home office. I have a TV right here. And if there was Major League Baseball, I would turn this TV on and it would never not have yeah. baseball on it. And and I'm watching the KBO games, you know, like it's so it's we're starving for it. I think it'd be so great for the psyche of the country. But, you know, of course, there's so many factors and it's hard to know, like, you know, you know, I'm, I'm Sean Doolittle is a very bright guy, but he's not an epidemiologist. Right. Like, right. so few of us uh, are there, Mike. Yeah, that's right. So I'm reading <laughs> my opinion on the research. So yeah. I don't know, man. I'm just I'm desperate for it. But of course, we all want everybody to be safe for sure. Well, what have you been doing to uh, kind of keep your psyche buoyed during this? I've had you know the ups and downs, and I've been kind of down in that trough and depressed. I've been trying to exercise more. What have you been What have you been doing to uh, just kind of avoid falling down through the uh, pits of despair? Yeah, that's right. I would say the exercise part for sure. I would say for my baseball fix, you know, I've I've watched every college baseball highlight on um, YouTube that I can get my hands on. And thankfully, I've got it on TV right now. ESPN News running replays of games. You know, yeah. thankfully, the, the Sirius XM show I do with Darren Sutton on college baseball um, that's sponsored by Perfect Game. We're still doing that every week, which has been a blast. And I'm still writing uh, every week for Perfect Game. I've been writing an article on two teams that I wish I had gotten to meet and see this year. So that's been fun. But um, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm watching your, your Twitter reel <laughs> once a week. That's my yes. diagnosis for everyone. That's, that's good for the soul right there. A, a citrus-based 90s beverage. I know. Oh, I love that one. I still go back and watch it about once a week myself. At the time Got that to. it kind of went viral, I was watching it, you know, five times a day. But uh, how many views on that thing? Do you know? Ah, uh, it's at 300,000. Well, I don't have it exactly. <laughs> 331,000, 332,000. Yeah. There's one that's got about 295 or something like that thousand. I'm, I'm just, I'm hoping, you know, sometimes I'll put it back. I'm like, hey, you know, let's see if this yeah. Get to three hundred thousand, but well, awesome. okay. Hey, now now that we've gotten the other stuff out of the way, let's let's get right down to my work here, Mike. Uh, yeah, what please. is it that what is it that hooked you about that? Because you've been one of the, uh, well, you've been one of these straws that have really sort of stirred the drink and said, "Boy, what what is this right here? What is it that hooked you in about that?" Yeah, it just made me laugh. It was joyous, you know. Like I think yeah. that's one of the fun things about college baseball is that, and I know that you you know your talents will take you beyond college baseball if they haven't already, but. Um, I know they have, but the, I don't know, like I, I, college baseball to me is fun because it's like, it's that perfect age, you know, like the kids are old yeah. enough to be really good players, but it's super joyous. You know, it's like the relationships with their teammates and it's not super monetized yet. So, you know, right. and when I hear you announce, it's very kind of like that, you know, no holds barred, just very joyous. And it, it's hilarious. It, it makes me laugh. Yeah, it, it is pure. And I've always had this sort of 
you know, I don't, I don't want to offend our sponsors. And we have many of them on this podcast, the LCRR <laughs> podcast brought to you by AutoZone, now delivering food uh, from stale pretzels <laughs> to off-brand colas. And let me tell you, they got the best goddamn imitation slurpee you're ever going to find at a carport store. But Thank you. I, I've always been a little bit hesitant. You know, it's just for the pure joy of it. And, and I was... Mm-hmm. A graduate assistant there at West Florida and, and just kind of, you know, just doing it. Now, there wasn't really a lot of money involved or anything like that. I was just doing it for the pure joy. And actually this mm-hmm. morning, one of the kids from that um, video who had a bunch of the strikeouts in the video actually messaged me and just, we caught up and it, it is, it got, it puts that little sort of, you know, right. kick in your heart. And you just say, Oh, this is, this is for the pure, the pure love of it. Um, do you think that, you know, this coronavirus deal, crystal ball question here, but do you think it's going to make people more cynical? More cynical. Hmm. Like when you say cynical, you mean like cynical, like, like more worrisome, more like, um, how do you mean cynical? Well, yeah, worrisome, pessimistic, just feeling Mm -hmm. like the rug can always sort of get yanked out from under us. Yeah, I would say it's a good question. I mean, it does, it does feel like, this is our generation's kind of like World War II, you know, mm. like the, the those types of, you know, JFK assassination moment where you just you'll never forget it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I like every every part of me believes that um, th- these are the moments that, that bring out the best in the American fiber. I, I do believe that it's a little, you know, I guess it's a little um, romantic, but at the same time, it's, I believe it, you know, like it's, a, oh, sure. it's an amazing country with an amazing history. But um, I, I think this one is so spooky and I'm sure all the other ones felt spooky at the time, but this one's so spooky because it's so opaque, right? It's like yeah. so, um, you, you can't identify it. You can't see it. You can't, it's an invisible enemy. It's, we don't really know it. You feel like if you hear 10 people speak about it, you know less after the 10 dissertations than you did mm. before. So, but I, I, I do believe at the end of this, there will be something positive that will come out of it. Probably many positive things, but, you know, I, I think it'd be unwise to underestimate that there, there will, there has been, and there will continue to be hardship around it for sure. Yeah. And to talk about baseball, yeah, I mean, that's just such a small part of our society, but you're so right is that if they could find a way to get the games going again, it, it really would buoy people's spirits. You said you've been watching the KBO to that end. Um, thoughts and reactions. What do you think about the level of play uh, over there in that particular league? Yeah. I mean, I love um, it's, I mean, the level of play is interesting. You know, the American players really stand out, which is interesting. And, you know, like pridefully, it makes you feel good. Like, wow, our our big league players really are, you know, they're they're as elite as I always thought they were. But I would say I love the how unencumbered those players are. You know, like who doesn't love the bat flips? You know, when the hitters swing and miss, they're very animated. Um, they play with a, it's interesting. They play with a lot of flair over there, but I'll tell you the, which is so ironic, right? Because American pitchers would say, Hey, that's disrespectful. Or you could argue that the Korean players are way more respectful than what you're used to. And yeah. the, the one thing, my thing about celebrations in baseball is I'm 100% in favor of them. It's just about where they're directed. Like, I think when you eyeball your opponent during a celebration, I, I find that to be really inappropriate and out of bounds. But as long as your celebration is not directed at the person that was on the wrong side of it, count me in. And you notice those Korean players, when they bat flip, they don't glance anywhere near that pitcher. It has nothing to do with the pitcher. It's just a pure individual celebration. Mm-hmm. So I, I would like to see more of that in our game. And it's fascinating because there's not really any fans watching right now, but uh, overall... Uh, yeah, cut out fans. The paper fans are there, but, uh, overall it seems like, uh, in many ways, the Asian game is, is more fun. You have cheerleaders on top of the uh, dugouts. I remember reading an article in the New York times a few years ago about a baseball game, the CPBL. And one of the fans, uh, described it with a phrase that translated to hot and noisy. And right. there wasn't really sort of people going out there just to hear the crack of the bat. We hear it now because nobody's there. But but uh, it seems like there's something maybe a little more fun. I, I, I'll i go ahead and say this. I've said it many times before, not that anybody was probably listening. But I, I believe, even though I can't understand most of what's being said, I think that 
uh, in Japan, Korea, Taiwan. I think that's where the best baseball announcing is being done right now in the world. I think it's uh, very exciting. I'm sure it's very informative as well. Uh, what do you think about about announcers from from that side of the world? You know, I I don't. I've never locked in on it. You know, it's funny. I I would love to. I've studied Spanish my whole life, but I've never really locked in on it. And every once in a while. I'll put the you know ESPN Deportes on when the Korean you know Caribbean World Series is on, mm-hmm. and just to try and hear those announcers. And so I would say more from a from a Caribbean standpoint. I've never really. I mean, the Asian languages are so far beyond me; it's hard to say. But I would say this, Joy, that I mean, and I'm not ripping on the American version of baseball. Clearly, I'm fully you know addicted to it. I love it. You're but you're it, baby. I'm in, but the um you could argue we've got the least fun version of baseball, right? Like right, the, right. in the Dominican <laughs> and in, in the Asian countries, I mean, it's a big party. It reminds me of European soccer. And um, we probably could use a little bit of that. Well, I, uh, a little bit about my backstory in 2018, I was working for an independent team in the Dallas area, the Texas air hogs. And we partnered with a Chinese steel conglomerate and about two-thirds of our roster were members of the Chinese national baseball team hoping to get ready for the World Baseball Classic, which, you know, unfortunately today another victim of, of the crisis is, is being delayed. But uh, we played, uh, and I didn't know anything about it. these were These were players from mainland China. I didn't know anything about baseball in China. I did a little research, and one of the things I came across was from the CPBL uh, the Manny Ramirez home run. And he just, he just kind of gets it over the wall. It's about 2013. And the announcer says, that one's gone like the ex-girlfriend who will never, ever return. And it's hilarious. He does it in English. Uh, wow. he, he seems to be doing it in, in uh, his, own, his own language. Uh, and then kind of breaks into English <laughs> as Manny's rounded the bases. And I laughed. And for me... That kind of, you know, it kind of broke some in my brain. I had been announcing professionally for about three or four years. And I had always kind of played a conservative. I was like, I don't want to be too. And and after I heard that, uh, you know, it wasn't very long until I was saying, you know, Sean Stutzman sitting him down quicker than extra strength laxatives. And that kind of gave way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I like that one. The other yeah. team didn't like that one. We had some parrots right now. What did he just say? But, oh, no. Uh, it just, you know, they, he had this feeling, this guy knew, you know, I, I don't know what his name is, but he knew, okay, it's Manny Ramirez, he hits a home run, it's going to go viral in America, so this is my chance to say something that might, you know, really yeah. off. And so I kind of thought of myself as sort of like the reverse of that guy. I'm doing it in English. Maybe people are watching uh, in China, maybe not. Uh, yeah. But, but that, that kind of that spurred me to think more along those lines, and when they did that, uh, series last year with Seattle and Ichiro's last uh, hurrah over there. I, I was just taken by it. I felt like there was something very exciting about it, but there was still an elegance to it. And mm-hmm. it, I, I agree with you. There's there's something in America we do have this kind of traditional and and oh, what did they used to call Brian McCann? Fun police, you know. That right. Was, <laughs> we kind of had. What would be something you would change? Uh, you probably work in the most fun version of high level baseball, which is college, but what, what would you change about the game as a whole if you could? Yeah. So you mean just baseball in general, right? Well, I, yeah. And I'm not saying, well, make everybody DH everywhere or anything. Like that. I'm saying maybe about the culture or something like that. What would you, what would you change? Yeah. I, I just think, I, I, I think, um, you know, as far as the, you know, there, obviously it's the question is, is broad, right? I mean, like sure. there's so many, there's so many places you could go with this, but I think from the culture of celebrations and those types of things, I, I just think, you know, like the, I think Korea is a great example, right? When I see a hitter, you know, drill a ball in the gap and bat flip, there's no disrespect to the pitcher at all. They, they, they don't even address the pitcher. They flip their bat diagonally away from the pitcher they never eyeball the pitcher um and and i think in america we couldn't do that because the because if the hitter didn't eyeball the pitcher the pitcher would immediately start eyeballing the hitter and so i just think i would like to see both groups have freedom to just what what i'm 100 against is when when i look you right in the eyeballs Mm -hmm. and i show you up that's a no-go for me but right. like if you if you throw a great change up and punch me out, why shouldn't you should you should be able to celebrate that? 
just the way I should be able to celebrate the home run. And so I, and, and you know, and again, what happens in America is the pitcher gives up the home run and he's looking at the hitter most often saying almost like daring him to look at you. So it's, it's kind of like it takes two to tango and both parties are guilty. So I, I, I think it, it's not that hard, right? <laughs> like yeah. the, the, <laughs> in the, if they're doing it in the KBO, like it's, it, they have like no problems with it. It appears uh, and so I don't see why we couldn't adopt some of those things. Well, and I, I hope that this is a little cultural diffusion here. We'll take maybe some elements of what's making that game more popular um, and incorporate them into the game in America. This is the LCRR podcast uh, brought to you by the Hare Krishna movement, at least in part. Hare Krishna, now with 10% more zest. Uh, <laughs> we've got... <laughs> yes, well done. Who is writing this, Marty? Yeah, great. that's Marty. Great. Marty, still over there? <laughs> well, uh, Mike, tell us a little bit about how you got your start on the uh, on the broadcast side. We've got sort of the origin story here of Mike Rooney. Uh, do you remember yeah. the first game he called? Uh, I do. Yeah. So, yeah, the long story short is, I you know, I was I was coaching, right? I, like, my yeah, dream was to yeah. be a Division One head coach. And I grew up in suburban Philadelphia, this kind of born and raised on sports radio. And um, our coach at the time, Pat Murphy, who's now the bench coach for the Brewers, uh, one of my years at ASU, he had a radio show on Monday nights. And our play-by-play guy, Tim Healy, who's the best, he has to do football and basketball and baseball. So by the time the spring got there, he was gassed. And so Murph just said, hey, like, heels we need to give Hills some oxygen here because he's still doing our 50 games and um, hopefully deep into the postseason so you're going to host the radio show this year and I was kind of like so like am I getting fired as the coach <laughs> or like you know like coaches don't even reassigned host. yeah right <laughs> so anyway he had me do it and it was super fun and then we just had it we just it was completely unprofessional but it was awesome and then a couple years later I left Arizona State and I was a junior college coach and Murph called Fox Sports Arizona and said, hey, like, I know we have a game on TV this year and Mike Rooney's going to be the color analyst. And Fox Sports Arizona politely said to Coach Murphy, like, hey, coach, I'm not sure if you know how this works, but like, we actually hire the analyst, not the coach mm. of the team in the game. And yeah. Murph is a very persuasive guy. He kind of said, that's great. So Mike's going to do it. What time do you need him there? And they're like, oh, you know, so anyway, he just warmed down. So what, as soon as I did that, it was, I believe it was Arizona versus Arizona State in the midweek game. That was 2006. And then I had a tape to start, you know, kind of mail stalking ESPN. I just started sending it to them and I would get to do more games. And my first game for ESPN was 2009. It was Bethune-Cookman versus Delaware State. Hey, and so, Delaware State. Um, yeah, the uh, the Hornets, if you will. The Hornets. Oh, okay. Wow. Yes. <laughs> For some reason, I was thinking I was thinking something like the Aluminum Ciders, the Delaware State <laughs> Aluminum Ciders. They that's, could be that. Should have. I don't that. know a lot about Delaware though, but that's kind of close. Yeah. Now, was it in Delaware? You're from Philadelphia. That's right there, right? Well, the game was actually in Daytona Beach, which is where ah. Bethune Cookman is. But um, I think it was honestly just because I had been staying in contact with them for a long time, sending them tapes and. You know, I, I'm assuming the A crew didn't raise their hand and say, yes, please let us have the Delaware State Bethune Cookman game. Yeah. So, uh, but hey, it only takes one. How do you, how did you uh, kind of keep yourself going, keep your motor going when they were not responding? That's something that I am, you know, trying to keep gassed up here as, as we kind of take this break with the coronavirus. How did you keep yourself motivated and eventually kind of penetrate the indifference? Yeah, I think um, it's tricky, right? It's like that that's in all versions of sales. Like my day job is medical sales. It's the same way. How do you balance persistence with um, not being so bothersome that they just decide no? Um, you know, one thing that I learned when I was reaching out to ESPN is I just felt like, uh, you know, I was so frustrated in the beginning. because I, was, I, was, I felt like I had something to offer and I was just thinking, how can you not see what I have to offer? Right. And then, but they just don't, you know, like they're busy, they're doing their own thing. So what I discovered was the best way for me to stay in touch with them was to provide value that they couldn't get elsewhere. So what I started, you know, I'm a college baseball nerd. Oh, like it's all, it's the, it's what I care about college baseball. It's, it's my favorite thing in the world outside of my family. And so I just started giving them, I would send them very short emails periodically 
saying, hey, here's what I'm excited about in college baseball. So I was helping them like get a snapshot of what's going on in our sport. And I wasn't taking up a lot of their time. And so I just slowly dripping on them that way. And, you know, the other thing clearly is I was always trying to meet people that I could get connected to them. So they were doing college baseball in Omaha. So who could I meet that could say, hey, Mike Rooney's not an axe murderer, actually. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's... He so uses that, that, a gun, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> those, were, those, those were two things. But I tell you, like for me, you know, getting to broadcast on ESPN has been a life-changing dream come true for me. But I mean, I started, you saw the timeline, right? I started sending them my tapes in 2006 and I got to do my first game in 2009. That's a long time to stay with that. And, but, um, you know, obviously I'm clearly overjoyed that, that I did. And who, uh, who really kind of at ESPN do you think influenced you the most? Who maybe did you latch onto as a mentor and kind of learn the ropes of that particular world, the worldwide leader? Yeah, I would say, I mean, this is indirect to your question, but Meg Rentius, who is the CP, the coordinating producer for softball, she was the person to give me my first shot. So, I mm. mean, I will always be indebted to Meg for giving me that Delaware State Bethune-Cookman game. But honestly, I've just, over the course of those 11 years, I've leaned really heavily on the play-by-play guys I've had and the producers I've had because... I mean, I knew nothing about television. I didn't know any of the terms. I didn't even know. I didn't know what it was like a foreign language. So leaning on those guys, building relationships with those guys. I've had so many great play-by-play guys, so many great producers and, and directors. And so, you know, just over the course of time, they're, the, the, you know, you ask them a question and, you know, I used to always send them an email like, hey, if there's anything that you think I could do better. And if you think there's things that I did that really stood out as good, I'd like to know that too, because I don't know the answers to either of those things. I'm just yeah. doing what I think is best. Um, but I'd love to know what is best. So I, I would say I've been very fortunate in that regard. Yeah. Well, I, I'm kind of in that boat of, of trying to learn and it's, it's, it's amazing how, you know, you sort of take things for granted or you say, boy, I, I had no idea they did that. I, I just saw somebody, I can't remember if it was Joe Buck or somebody. And he said, you know, I, I don't really watch the monitor at all during the game, except when the ball is about to fly out of the park and I need to see it. And I kind of thought, huh, that's how they usually know doing minor league baseball and doing college baseball. That's one of the biggest challenges is you're looking at, you know, it's the seventh inning, it's nine o'clock at night. You're like, hold on, did that thing get out of here? Or not? Yeah. You know, and I was like, oh, they look at the monitor and, and, and see it. So there's those, those tiny things, uh, uh, does it get easier as you get onto the bigger stage? I would say, um, that's a good question. I would say it's, it changes, right? Like I remember in the beginning, I, the first couple of years, I don't think I, they, they could have taken the monitor out of the booth and I would have never known. Like I never yeah. looked at the monitor and now I look at the monitor 90% of the game. Now, of yeah. course I'm the analyst, not the play by play person. Right. So that's, right. you know, it's, it's different. I think for you play by play guys, you have to have, more of both than you do as an analyst but um now i find myself monitor and then glance at the whereas in the beginning like i said it was field and maybe look at the monitor for a replay so i mean i just think you get more confident more comfortable um you know you end up in different roles you know like i've gotten to do studio that's completely unique getting to do dugout stuff is really unique but um you know i i think the most important thing at least in my mind is not to lose like, I really don't want to be a professional broadcaster. Like, I'm just a person mm -hmm. that loves college baseball, and I love the player-coach interactions, and I love the sport, and I just want to share, you know, like, if there was a great college baseball game on, I would want to sit on my couch with some buddies and talk and watch, you know, talk through the game, watch the game. And that's really what I'm trying to do on television, just maybe with less profanity and a little bit more professionally. Well, we had Boog Shambi on here, a friend of yours, and we were just talking about this. One of the things that he said about broadcasting was that something that maybe worries him is that you have kids who are 22 years old starting, it's 2020, and they kind of start to sound a little bit too much like they're imitating the people of the past, and maybe they're trying mm -hmm. to be that Vin Scully kind of voice or that Mel Allen kind of voice. Uh, do you think there's kind of a stiffness to baseball broadcasting? Maybe that's set in a little bit? Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. I mean, I, 
Man, that's it's a hard. I, I would say this: like I see a lot of younger play-by-play guys where they're they haven't found their voice yet, and I think it's unfair for me to expect that they would have found it already. And then, and you're watching them kind of struggle to find it, and a lot of times they're just not being the best version of themselves. So I think it's easy to be critical of that. But I think it's also, that's a real struggle to try and find your voice. And, um, you know, we listen to the Boogs of the world and, you know, I grew up with Harry Callis and we, we think about Vince Scully and those guys are just, you know, unicorns. And so it's, um, I, I think the biggest thing is, is you do have to find that, that version of your, it has to be really authentic you or people can sniff that out. But at the same time, you have to develop the skills of the profession too. I, I think that's a that's a that's a, a work in progress for all of us. You ever say anything that just embarrassed the uh, shit out of you? <laughs> oh, on a broadcast? <laughs> Gosh, that's a great that's I know I have. I'm trying to I think I've I, I, I immediately black out after I do those things for my yeah. own self preservation. Man, what's the worst what's the worst um I mean, this is one, in, it's in a fun way. Like, I get to do the bases loaded every year with Matt Schick, which is a blast. Yeah. And so we're constantly, the, the producer's constantly bringing you to games. And so you know something, you're about to see something eventful happen. So we start guessing and stuff like that. And I called a Spencer Torkelson home run last year, and I got really cocky. And so we went to um, two games and a split screen. And I said, gap shot, gap shot, and both hitters punched out, like, like <laughs> awful punch outs. And so, um, so yeah, you, you make some predictions that don't go great, that's for sure. Well, I, I told the one with Boog, <clears throat> which I'm sure you listened to, Mike, but it was, did, uh, <laughs> it was a little dribbler down the third baseline. And uh, the throw caught the guy at first base, and I wanted to say he was almost safe. It pulled – he almost beat it out. It almost pulled the first baseman out the bag. And instead, I said something like, uh, here comes the throw, and uh, oh, no, it looks like it beat him off. And I was like, ah, that was not <laughs> that one what I wanted to say there. But uh, I've had so many. For me, you know, those one-liners, I think kind of what makes that video uh, popular that we were talking about is that uh, I wanted to lean into the disease of of sort of the society that we're living in where people are scared that they're going to say something and then it goes viral on twitter and it you know it's right. a slip of the tongue or something like that uh and so it's sort of this intentional kind of like you know what if i could say some of these things are a little bit offbeat or even embarrassing um but but it it, it took a while to to get to that i will say one of the things that was uh, well, here you go. Uh, you ever shit yourself on the air? I've done that a couple of times. You ever been? Oh, so? wow. yeah, <laughs> never, never had the pleasure of that. No. Oh, I keep good. a I keep a Jan Sport backpack under the under the boot <laughs> <laughs> under the table, not to change well it, but in the yeah. private bathroom. Hopefully, they have uh, after that. This is uh, Mike Rooney talking about shitting his pants. No, shitting my pants here on the LCR <laughs> podcast, available on uh, every podcast platform you have uh, out there. Mike, do you do a podcast yourself? I, I do don't. A radio I, show. Yeah, so we have that SiriusXM show. I do. I started doing these Instagram lives during the pandemic. Just, just I've never been an Instagram guy. It's been fun to try out. So that's been fun. But not I've been on a lot of podcasts. But I've never done one. It's it's quite a commitment, as you know. It's like it's it uh, is. even the Instagram live thing is a, is a commitment, and there's no editing. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's you know I I've been kind of struggling. I did one with Boog and I did one with Ellery Smith, who's a, a writer on Robot Chicken. And now you're my third guest. And I took a little break. I took about a 10 day break and I just was sort of trying to figure out what is it, what is it, what is it, what is it I want to do. And I think it kind of grows as you go. Um, you know, the podcast where everybody's got one right now. And, and I yeah, just, yeah. people, it kind of took me like years when some of those videos went viral, they're like, oh, you must have a podcast. I'd love to listen to that. So, mm-hmm. Well, no, actually, actually, I don't. This is this is pretty much it right here. But uh, I, for me, I love to just go to the live game and just do the play by play. I'm not as big, and I don't listen to a lot of sports radio right. or anything like that. Uh, do you ever worry, maybe in in the business of of broadcasting, that we become too much kind of opinionation machine oriented, where we're just flapping gums and talking about games theoretically rather than just enjoying the live game? Yeah, I'm not I'm not attracted to that debate sports debate yeah. craze. I've never been a fan of that. Like I 
I'm with you. Like I, my, and I, you know, I'm a baseball guy clearly, but I love all sports. And I, I think there's nothing like a radio call of a baseball game. Like, you know, and clearly if you want to make a living in broadcasting, television is an infinitely better living than radio, but man, calling, um, 2009, I got to work with Tim Healy calling the radio, the, the ASU baseball games and man, radio is a blast. It's just everything it about it. And, and so, um, that's, you know, no, and I always say this, I love sports talk radio from Philadelphia because it reminds me of home. I, you know, I've been gone for 20 years. Like I love the irrational nature of Philadelphia sports radio. I love the craziness. It, it makes me homesick in a good way. But, um, yeah, I'm more like, yeah, like, like that's my favorite thing about broadcasting is if the game starts at five and I need to be there at three all day, I'm thinking of ways to convince my wife so I can go to the game at two. Whereas, you know, like normal course of work, if you have to be there at three, you're like screaming in the parking lot at two fifty nine. Right, right. You just have to drag yourself in and, and there's so much. God, there's such an energy. I, I go to the stadium and just will sit there and just find any excuse to be in there before the games. And ah, gosh, I'm missing that feeling so much uh, right now. Would you ever think about doing something like a, a video game announcing something like that? I mean, uh that's a good question. I never gave it some thought, but I mean, like think about some of the sports movies where I, I mean, when you said that the, my first vision of my brain was, was, um, wasn't Vern Lundquist in happy Gilmore. He was. Um, yeah. yeah. Like, so those, those announcers make Doesn't he those say so. mo- happy Gilmore. Who the fuck is happy Gilmore? <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, Vern Lundquist really did cuss in that movie. Didn't he? So uh, he said something to that effect. Yeah, you know? no, I think, I think you're right. Um, so anyway, yeah, like, yeah, I never thought about it for me, but gosh, like it is, it does, it adds a level of authenticity when you, when you see stuff like that. Oh, I love it. And I think that that's something that I kind of think about baseball announcing and sort of that postmodern phase, because we've had real sports announcers play fictional versions of themselves. Uh, Bob Euchre in Major League, obviously had a different name, but uh, Vern Lundquist and, and Brent Musburger, I think was in the... Uh, water boy with Adam Sandler. Oh we gosh, this- he was so good. Dan Fouts. Yeah, that's right. Bob Euchre in Major League. How could I whiff on that one? Oh, well, so Brock good. Meyer, things like that. You know, it's just now we're business for nothing. Hey, baby. <laughs> 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 that's right. Favorite quote for that would be that. Is there a favorite quote for Major League? Oh, uh, is that? Oh gosh, that that's one of them. Too far, too far. That's a good one too. Uh, no, too high, too high. That's too high. Yeah. Yeah. Too high. What does that mean? I need to rewatch that movie in the pandemic. That, that is a classic. Oh, I think about that all the time when it, he said, Oh, you can't say goddamn on the radio. Oh, who cares? Nobody's listening anyway. I thought about that. (laughs) Well, when I was with, yeah, when I was with the, uh, the air hogs, the, uh, Chinese national team, we, for the first time I had been there two years and that was the first year we kind of got like a nice video stream. And they said, uh, well, actually, here, here you go. Here's a name drop for you. Billy Martin Jr., son of Billy Martin, is the mm. operating executive of that team. And so he got some money to do it. And he said, well, you know, I think they're going to be watching in China. And I said, okay, great. Uh, you know, let's make this look good. I'll, I'll do my best to sound good here, Billy. And uh, <laughs> we did it all through a portal called American Association Baseball.tv. About a month and a half into the season, I asked our translator, a really nice young woman named Xingping Liu, and I said, Xingping, are they out there? Are they listening tonight in Shanghai and Beijing and Chengdu and Inner Mongolia? And she looked at me and she just goes, no, it can't get through the government censors. And I just went went down on a knee. And I was just laughing about as hard as I've laughed in my life. Just, oh, you have a crazy laugh. I was like, yes, I do. But it was, it was truly kind of that, you know, it was, it was truly kind of the uh, fulfillment of that quote from that movie. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, then I said, well, you know, who cares? Nobody's out there listening anyway. Later, we found out that there were people who were listening. Uh, right. You can still access stuff over there. It was a very, very committed audience. And, That's awesome. Uh, uh, I guess, you know, in what is it? In, and at the core of every joke is a little bit of truth. And, and that's mm. I think why that, that movie kind of resonates uh, uh, with us. Uh, do you believe that uh, sports announcing is funny enough today? 
Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, I think it's, um, I, I prefer that style. Like I always love a good laugh that, you know, you know, we, we talked about Boog. Like I, I love Boog's sarcastic sense of humor. It's really yeah. dry. I appreciate that. Um, you know, I, I think it's uh, one thing I've learned over the years is that, you know, you do have to be very self-aware. I, I tend to like that. And some play-by-play guys are, you know, think about Tom Hart, who I get to work with, has a great sense of humor. But, you know, you and your partner have to have the discipline to really there's a time to yuck it up and there's a time that the game has to be the most important thing. And so, uh, but I, that's my preference, you know, like I, I always want to laugh and ha- enjoy the game and, you know, that's part of the fun oh, yeah. of sports is the, is the ability, the camaraderie and the, the, uh, the, the humor. Well, well, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but if they hadn't canceled the season, who do you think would have uh, ultimately proven triumphant in Omaha? Ooh, too early I, to I, tell well i mean you know we got to remember it's a tournament at the end so it's like right. it's not always the best team but i the team that i had picked to win it all was ucla and they were probably up to like fifth in most polls so i was really intrigued by that team um but you know it, it's you got to win the tournament at the end which is fairly tricky but uh, i think this was that was one of the reasons this was a fun year is because there wasn't like one team like Florida was ranked number one, but you know, they had three freshmen in really mm-hmm. prominent roles. It, it's uh, I, I think there were, we had a lot left to learn this year, which was going to be really, I thought the postseason was going to be fairly electric because there was, there was a, you know, there, there wasn't one or two or three teams that were head and shoulders above everybody else. What's your favorite CWS ever? The one that always comes to mind for me, is 2009. I was there with ASU. There was 34 big leaguers there. And I mean, you're talking about prominent big leaguers like DJ LeMayhew, Brandon Belt, uh, Matt Harvey, Mike Leak, Jason Kipnis, Cole Calhoun, uh, Brian Dozier was there with Southern Miss. I mean, it was really Dallas Keuchel. It, it was um, uh, Drew Smiley, Brett McCann, or James McCann, the catcher. It was amazing. Um, 2005 is a really neat one for me because air, I just left Arizona state as a coach and they were there and they played in Nebraska. Um, you know, you can imagine the, the stadium was completely red. Jeff Lair shit three home runs that day. I mean, there's not an Omaha I haven't loved, but those are yeah. two that kind of come front center there. How about, uh, how about 14 Vanderbilt, Virginia? You remember that one? Oh yeah. Heck yeah. Well, let me, let me ask you a question. Do you recognize this right here? What do you got? That's the leg that was behind home plate. I was a fifth row for the championship game. They had my leg out of ESPN the whole night. Yeah. That's awesome. I was with with a collegiate summer team at Derby, Kansas. Derby Twins, Jayhawk Collegiate League. uh, Jayhawk League. Our coach is uh, his friend's dad got tickets. He said, well, if you guys can get up here, it's like 1 o'clock in the afternoon. We drove from Wichita to uh, Omaha got there like midway through the first inning. Well, they were in the fifth row and it was, uh, it was like, we streaked there. It was our wow. last day of our all-star break. Uh, I woke up on a golf course about five thirty AM the next day. It was a heck of a time. I had no yeah. idea. I was fun. so, I was so far down the, the river of this collegiate league. And I was just, I was so, it's like running over every, it was my first thing I'd ever done. So I was, I was like, I got to know every stat. I got to know every player. And I didn't even really pay attention to, you know, the regionals, the super regionals, the CWS, all that stuff. And, you know, I knew it was Virginia and Vanderbilt and people kept, you know, talking about the teams. And I was just like, oh, yeah, I agree with that 100%. I had no idea what anybody was talking you know, about. Have you ever done the NBC <laughs> tournament? Have you, do you ever get to do that? I have, baby. Absolutely. We were, we were there. And uh, we, we, uh, we, I think they take the top four teams from the Jayhawk League, get an automatic bid. And so we made it to the end of the first week. We were, I think, the last team eliminated at the end of the first week. And it was, uh, oh, boy, that was a lot of fun uh, there at Historic Lawrence Dumont Stadium, which unfortunately now is uh, is no more. Did you? Uh, Are they doing the a new? I, I've never been. We would send players there occasionally. Mm-hmm. Like if we had players, when I was at ASU, if we had players that did summer school, we tried to send a couple players there. And But I coached in Alaska one summer. And. That was a big deal. If you won the Alaska League, you'd go to Wichita. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, I, that's one of my regrets. I, or I've not been to that tournament yet. And, and it's, it's not what it 
was are they building a new double a stadium in wichita or what is yeah the it's kind of changed up so they had uh historic Lawrence dumont stadium which was built in the 30s and they hosted the nbc world series for all those years and they did the wichita wranglers uh, up until about 2011 or something like that when they left and uh, an independent team called the wichita wingnuts was there and they would take a trip for like two weeks uh mm-hmm. when the nbc came on uh, i guess late July, early August, and they just finished uh, that. They just closed the stadium, I think, in 2018 and demolished it right after the season. So they built a new stadium. It's a huge, you know, 40 million some odd dollar stadium for the Wichita Wind Surge, which I think is AAA there. But I don't, you know, it got to be a little bit different. That That year that I was here was 2014. And as I recall, it was all college kids. And then the next, year, maybe a year or two after that, it was like Roger Clemens. Yeah, there's the team that's... Chipper Jones, you know, all these guys out there. And they're just like the the ringers. And one yeah. and I just, I guess you can just enter the tournament. Um, I think Toby Keith was involved in it in some way. Yeah, he's he a, like, I think he's a baseball fan. And, you know, there's always been that, that element. I remember Paul Stevens was the coach of, um, of uh, Northwestern for a long, long time. He played in the NBC tournament for years while he was still coaching at Northwestern. Um, he was in really yeah. good shape and, and um, yeah, I, I always kind of liked that part of it, that it was mostly college kids, but then you'd get some adults sprinkled in there that were really good players. And so I hope that tournament survives, although it, it definitely feels like summer baseball is in a very interesting place right now. Yeah, it's tough. I know a lot of them have, uh, so I guess the Cape Cod has shut down. I know the Coastal Plains League has delayed, postponed to a July 1st, and mm-hmm. I, I really do hope so. You know, you talk about that innocent. It's, it's almost even more innocent than the institutional seasons. It's just yeah. kids out there. And and it would be a shame if we lost it. But can you imagine that you play the whole season? Not to not to dump on the Jayhawk Collegiate League, but then all of a sudden it's Roger Clemens out there on the mind. You're like, well, hold on a second. I something something went wrong yeah. here. That's uh, right. Did you as a player, did you ever play in any of those leagues? No, when I was playing, you know, so Craig Council was my teammate when I was at Notre Dame. And so he was our best player, one of our best players. So he did go play that circuit. Like he played in the Jayhawk League, I think for two summers, played in Alaska, I think one summer. I never got to, I I would always just go home. I was a walk-on. I would go home to Philadelphia. I would work and just play in our adult league back there. It's called the Westchester Adult League. But the, um, really what I got to experience summer leagues was in my coaching career, just, uh, going out to Alaska and Fairbanks that one summer. And then, yeah, that was one of my roles at ASU was placing it. I call it summer placement, placing the players in summer leagues. So. And uh, Craig, you guys played together. Did he always have the, you know, hands no. up like this? Higher hands, but not like crazy high hands. No, that was, yeah. that was developed during the course of his pro career. Huh. Well, I've always wondered what would be the uh, impetus. What I mean, break it down for us a little bit. Why would somebody put their hands all the way up there? Is there? Some yeah, secret? I just think I think those pro players they have had. I mean, not to speak for Craig, but I remember speaking to him, and he just said, "Hey, it's just something that I, I was trying to create a mental trigger, and mm-hmm. so it was something." I, I think you see a lot of professional players. You you think about those guys; they've had so many thousands of at bats and so many swings. And really what they're doing is their gyrations before the pitch have as much to do with their brain as their bodies. You know, they're just trying to get themselves. It's, it's a feel, you know, it's they're trying to get the right feel to get themselves in the right uh, frame of mind and, and physical position to hit. So it was really that, you know, he had been, he had won a world series ring with the Marlins. He had been released. And when he was back with the diamondbacks, I mean, he had been already been released by two organizations, I think. So you know, I think at that point, it's it's really more mental than it is physical. What advice do you give to kids here during this uncertain time just about staying ready and staying positive? Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things. Where it's funny. So in, in my day job, I'm a sales trainer. So it's really, it's very similar, like you're coaching salespeople instead of baseball players. But I, one of my favorite all-time movies is Cinderella Man. And I think, and, and I Crow, use this analogy. Oh, so good, that movie. So, but think about this, like Jim Braddock doesn't win. He never becomes world heavyweight champion if there's not a Great Depression. And there were two things that happened to him during the Great Depression. 
you know, he's working on the dock and he develops his left hand, which was a weakness and his right hand, which kept breaking on him heals. If those two things don't happen, he doesn't become world heavyweight champion either. But, but the reason those things happened was because he stayed after it. Like he was, he, his work ethic was off the charts. So I think that's the hardest thing is right now, it's so easy to get in a mental rut and get lethargic. But if you do that, I think the, the positives that can come out of this, different skills that we come up with, whatever it may be, I think you kind of forfeit those if you're not diligent in just fighting the good fight, even though I get it. Like it's, we all feel like we're paddling a million miles an hour and sinking anyway. It's hard. And speaking of positives, just came out of this uh, past week that they're only going to do five rounds in the MLB draft. What kind of positives could you take out of that for the college game? I know it's tough on those players, but what would be some of the ripple effects that might be positive down the line for the college side? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. It's tougher on players for sure. Um, I think the ultimate positive, you know, because we're it's this year, it's more pandemic related. But going forward, the draft's never going to be the same again. I I would be shocked if you see anything more than a 20 round draft going forward. Now, the truth is, that's probably in the range of what it should be. It felt like it was a little bloated. But I think it's only a net positive if at the end of this, there's a resource reallocation to minor league players. Um, it does seem weird to me that like a 19th round pick would get 125,000. And then of like a legit minor leaguer is in double A making $8,000 for the year. Like that, that doesn't feel right to me. So if, if they can pay minor leaguers a real wage, I think that's a win. Now you asked about the college game. I mean, the talent level in the college game is going to improve exponentially. And um, I, 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 just, I think Rob Manfred has probably looked at college baseball and said, hey, we have a really good minor league system right here. And it's not only are these kids getting good at baseball, getting, you know, improving their game, but they're getting an education, which is good for the game too. So, uh, you know, I, I think the short term is going to be very difficult for a lot of baseball families. And I have a heart for that. But at the same time, that just as the college baseball fan in me, yeah, there's a lot of players that are going to be staying in college and coming to college. It'll make the products, you know, better. And I think the biggest immediate winner, you mentioned you've worked in it. Uh, I've worked in it for three years myself, the junior college ranks. I think they'll benefit quite a bit here from uh, some of those players uh, matriculating into the NJCAA in the immediate uh, future. Uh, refresh my memory. What junior college do you manage at? Phoenix College. And, Phoenix uh, College. F- FK, is, as it was called. Uh, so there was a, there, so, you know, Phoenix College is in the city of Phoenix. And so, like, the, the, the kids in Scottsdale would say, oh, yeah, you're, I heard you're coaching at FK. And I'm like, FK, what are you talking about? And they would, they would tease me and say, oh, yeah, you, the, the, the kids that are going there are so dumb, they think the initials are FK. And uh. so, you know, like, <laughs> that what was do you untrue, think? but. What do you think that side uh, of the collegiate game uh, does for a player? I, I, you know, like if you look at 2016, 17, and 18, we've been averaging about 140 high school players signing a professional contract per year. I am 100% in favor of families having that choice. But if you told me there's 140 high school players that are ready for the rigors of the minor leagues every year, I would say there's no shot in Hades that that's true. Now, if you told me like there's 40 or 50 kids that are truly ready for that, I'm for it. And, and, and I'm, I want families to have that choice. I think it's great for the sport. But I, I've, I've, to getting to your question, Joy, I've always thought that even a high school player going and spending one or two years in junior college would be infinitely ready, more ready for minor league baseball than just going high school to the minor leagues. I think mm-hmm. going from high school to the minor leagues, unless you're a Mike Trout or some you know, like freak show athlete like that. I mean, even Bryce Harper went to junior college for a year, you know? So, so I, I, I've always struggled with the high school players signing right away. I want them to have that choice. I just think 140 per year is too many. Yeah. In my opinion. Oh, I agree with you hundred percent. I think the junior college experiment or experience is, is really just invaluable uh, as players. As you said, uh, Bryce Harper. Now, he was a little bit different. I think he was about 16 years old there at Southern Nevada. Yeah, did his GED uh, early. Yep, yep. Well, (laughs) some of us us can do that, okay, you know? Yeah. And uh, it really is just a – it's kind of a special experience, kind of the pure nature of the game. I talked to even players in the four-year colleges, NCAA, and they kind of – 
you look back at the junior college years with a little wistfulness uh, that only a 21 year old kid can have, but you know, there's something even more sort of pure about it. And, and yeah. Oh, I loved it. I worked at Kahoma community college in Mississippi, Mac JC for three years. And I still look back on that as probably the three funnest years I ever had in my life. Um, yeah. It was it was just a, an absolute blast. This has been an absolute blast, Mike. I, I really appreciate your time. And uh, any advice you have for me, uh, you're out there, you know, monitoring my work as a, as a hawk or a uh, friendly hawk sounds a little bit vicious there. Friendly dove out there, you know, monitoring <laughs> my <dove>. work. <laughs> what do you what advice do you have for me uh, going forward here? Yeah, I mean, I would say I don't know what your your goals and aspirations are, but I would say. Uh, just for me, I've, I've uh, clearly you've seen it on Twitter. I, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed your work. So, you know, like, you know, clearly what you desire is the most important thing, whatever you aspire to have happen. But I, I would just tell you from a consumer standpoint, as someone that loves baseball and college baseball, I think it's, you know, anytime I see a new clip of yours, I'm excited, you know, like, I can't wait to hear what the new line is. Yeah. Um, I've had a blast. <laughs> so uh, I, I hope you continue to do those things because it's been really fun. Well, will you will you push it to your colleagues? Will you say, wait a second, who is this guy? Will you will you throw it out there a little bit to him? Yeah, I mean, you see me on Twitter. I'm like, I'm your agent on Twitter, basically. God, I appreciate that. You have no idea it's how much awesome. I appreciate that. Oh, it it really is. I I I've loved getting to know you here on this podcast and and following you. You know, here's the secret about me. I follow a lot of people around, people on Twitter. I mute a lot of people on Twitter. I follow them and then I'm just like, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm just, this is an empty follow here. You're one of the few, you're on a list of about 12 people that I don't mute pretty much immediately. So you're in rarefied area here, Mike. And, Hang with it. Maybe it, we'll see how long I last. I like it. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's been great. Uh, uh, you stay safe out there in Prescott, Arizona. And, uh, you know, I might actually see you. We, I did the National Junior College Men's Soccer Tournament this year in Tyler, Texas. Cool. And right at the end of it, they said, you know, get on back here next year. Except this year is going to be, next year is going to be in Prescott, Arizona. And so I said, Oh, a yellow uh, pie. How okay. about that? Yeah, yeah, it's supposed to be a yellow pie. They, I think they just alternate just four or five. Yeah, yellow pie's got a great soccer program. That would make sense. So if I'm in Prescott, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a buzz. Uh, I'll reach you on the Zoom. Yeah, I'll call you on the Zoom meeting again. So don't lose this <laughs> link. I'm about to go into the Zoom meeting. I'm going to extend this for 13 months just to be safe. Thank <laughs> Mike, you. Mike Rudy on the LCR podcast. Mike, be good. Thanks a lot. You too, Joey. Pleasure. Thanks, man.